1: One of the most important things that you can do to ensure that you and your family remain healthy is to stay informed, because unfortunately, it is very likely your health care providers are not. This is the reality that we all face. Don't ever let a physician or nurse belittle you from wanting to be an active participant in your own health. Your health and the health of your children is your responsibility. We are merely here to be guides not to dictate your care. I wanna share with all of our listeners some important information about the dangers of a drug that has been commonly used and recommended by many of us. Many parents and nurses alike are unaware of the many dangers associated with polyethylene glycol, better known as Miralax. And how many of you knew that PEG is actually one of the ingredients in these novel mRNA jabs? You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Before we get started today, I want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share what your own experiences are on the front lines, you can submit those to any of our hosts by visiting americaoutloud.com forward slash nursesoutloud. From there, you can select the name of the nurse you'd like to direct it to from our drop-down menu. We love to hear from you. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you are able to do that, we will be that voice for you. Joining me today is Mike Kohler, founder of the group Parents Against Miralax. In 2010, his then four-year-old son was treated for constipation and placed on over-the-counter laxative, Miralax. Over the next five years, His doctors would recommend that he remain on the Miralax to treat his constipation. In 2014, his son was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy and started exhibiting pandas-like symptoms. His behavior was out of control, and their family was in a dark place, desperate for help. In February of 2015, he founded the Facebook group Parents Against Miralax. It was there that he learned about naturopathic medicine. They found a naturopath in April of 2015, and by May of 2015, his son was on the path to better health and healing. For him, it was all about the microbiome, the eradication of beneficial bacteria, the shift of an anaerobic environment to an aerobic environment. His amino acids were in the gutter, and his short-chain fatty acids were not in balance. Thankfully, today, he's now seven years removed from that Miralax and is doing really well. Mike has now made it his mission to warn other parents of the real dangers of polyethylene glycol. Mike, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today.
0: Well, hi, Kimberly. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. And we actually had you on with us at Nurse Freedom Network. It was back in August, I believe. Um, and you gave a very informative presentation on our weekly <laughs> webinar. And I think that this was one of the most important topics that we've covered on our webinars. And I, I do try to regularly reshare uh, that to reach more people. So I'm, I'm very glad that you were able to get on with us today and share with our listeners around the globe that they really need to hear this information.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because especially, you know, polyethylene glycol, you know, throughout the world, it's, you know, like up in Canada, up in Canada, it's known as Restorelax. Over in Europe, it's known as like Movacol. And, um, you know, throughout the world, it just has many different faces, if you will, but it's still the same ingredient. It's still just, you know, still polyethylene glycol. And, um, yeah, it's a very dangerous ingredient. And, um, and in our group, we see that, you know, people from our, from all over the world are joining our group. Our group now has, you know, over 72,000 members in our Facebook group, Parents Against Miralax. And, um, and it's growing by, you know, about 2000 members every month. Wow.
1: Wow. You know, I think that one of the things that is most concerning to me, um, about the current state of healthcare, which i actually consider it to be a sick care system really is that you know as i was uh, explaining in the opening there that your son um they never searched for a reason as to why he was suffering from chronic constipation it seemed that they just kept telling you to give him Miralax to treat the symptoms did they ever at any time make an attempt to get to the root cause of these issues
0: you know never and, um, and, and shame on us as parents, you know, because I think that's part of the issue, you know, as, as parents, you know, as our, as our children are developing and, and as they get older, you know, we, we get a little busy, right? I mean, you know, especially in our case, it was, uh, we were very busy with soccer and karate and, you know, we really didn't have time or take the time to prepare meals at home, you know, so we were chronically on drive-thrus or sitting down at restaurants and, you know, and really engaged in that, you know, that sad standard American diet and um and, and there's no doubt that that played a role in his constipation but even before that you have to wonder like what role do like the 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 jabs you know you know the childhood vaccines you know what role do they have in in altering the microbiome or or even the individual personally and maybe leading up to that constipation because we're seeing we're seeing children of all ages you know from infancy to toddlers to, you know, as they, as they go through all their stages of life, you know, dealing with constipation, you know, the introduction to solids. So does, does glyphosate play a role? Um, you know, so it's, there's a lot of questions out there. There's more questions than answers, but yeah, as these children are going throughout their stages of life, these doctors are so quick, you know, they, they just pull out that script, you know, that script pad and they just say, Hey, take Miralax literally forever. And, and that's, what's so shameful when I, when I, when I see parents in our group and they're like, yeah, you know, the, the medical community, they want, they want my child on Miralax for a couple months to a couple years to, and even the word is, the word is forever. It's, you know, there, there's no answers. And, and even think about Miralax, you know, and, and how it disrupts the microbiome. And there's a lot of studies out there. You know, the question that I ask parents often in our group, you know, would you give your child antibiotics for an extended period of time, you know, because there's a lot of data out there today on antibiotics and how they disrupt the microbiome. Well, now the data is coming out on Miralax and polyethylene glycol and how that disrupts the microbiome. So that same question can be asked, you know, if you won't give your child antibiotics for forever, why would you give them Miralax for an extended period of time, if at all?
1: Right. And, you know, something that I think that is very noteworthy is that Miralax is actually not approved for use in children. Yet It is regularly recommended by pediatricians and other physicians, despite the fact, I believe the label says not to be used under uh, 17. Is that correct?
0: Yep. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And that's the, that's probably the first thing we should cover is that, you know, the label clearly indicates that it shouldn't be used longer than a week and it clearly should not be used in patients under the age of 17. And like in our, at the time, you know, four-year-old son, you know, he was on it, he was on it for almost five years. And I think back to that and I'm like, Wow. What I didn't know as a parent that I just trusted the medical community. And I think that's the issue, you know, that really, you know, we believe in the in the medical community until we have, you know, a situation where a loved loved one is in some some kind of trouble. And and trust me, our son was uh, he definitely was in some kind of trouble when he was about uh, it was right around the age of eight when he was diagnosed with epilepsy and then, uh, uh you know, shortly thereafter started uh, to exhibit some, some health issues that really resembled that of pandas. You know, he was never diagnosed with pandas, but his, his behavior was, was literally out of control. And, uh, up until about the age of eight, he was a very typical, um, eight year old, you know, he, he was doing well in school, you know, kindergarten through second grade, he was doing great. But then, uh, you know at the end of second grade is like when the wheels started to fall off the bus and uh especially in third grade it was uh third grade was a tough year for our family that was that was uh 2014 to 2015 that was uh that was tough
1: yeah. and let's talk a little bit about pandas because you know pandas uh for those who don't know that's an acronym for uh, pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders associated with streptococcus um, and I want to talk a little bit about that, because uh, that is actually something that many parents and even many medical professionals are really not all that familiar with. Um, so can you give just a brief synopsis for our listeners, like what what are the types of symptoms you would expect to see with this type of syndrome and what would be the best course of action if parents suspect that their child may be affected by that?
0: Sure. Yeah, because um, you know what we suspect happened, and you know, keep it in mind. I'm, I'm just a parent, but I've really I've spent a lot of time over the last several years, you know, reading some papers and studying this. So, you know, the, the microbiome is very sensitive, and what the polyethylene glycol does is it, it really eradicates the bacteria, and somehow, some way, the not so good or the the pathogenic bacteria is allowed to repopulate a lot quicker than the beneficial bacteria. So, what what's happening in the in the microbiome is is it's becoming it's becoming an aerobic environment and the microbiome does not like oxygen. And so now you have these, these bacteria strains that are not so beneficial. And like you, like you mentioned there, you know, strep is, is one of them that really overpopulates and eventually your, your child is overrun with it. And, and so like our son, he started to exhibit some very, some very bizarre behavior. Like he was at his worst, he was suicidal. And um, but, you know, even prior to that, you know, he would um, in third grade, you know, he was, he was, uh, punching kids. He was pushing kids out of line. He, he was a very troubled young man. And it was, it was a very dark moment for our family. Cause you know, then all of a sudden he, in third grade, he becomes part of the problem solving team at the school. So we're having monthly meetings with, uh, you know, the teacher, you know, the counselor, the psych or the psychologist. And, uh, and of course us, you know, parents and the principal, and, and it was just, it was ongoing all the way through third grade because our son was just so overrun with this bacteria And he was, he was just, he was very naughty, you know, to be honest. I mean, his behavior, like even at soccer practice, I was coaching his soccer team. You know, I saw the rate, his face just got beat red. And, um, and he, he went to like, he pulled back, like he was going to, he was going to punch this kid and we didn't see anything like this, you know, kindergarten, first, second grade, nothing like this was going on. He was a very typical boy, happy, go lucky, you know, just he was a very good child, and then in third grade, at the age of eight, he was demonized, and it was, uh, you know, as I often say, he was he was in a dark place, and I, and me and my wife, we didn't have answers, and you know, now we're seeing a psychiatrist at the at the University Children's Hospital here in Madison, and um, and she didn't have any answers. Of course, she wanted to you know give medicine, and we're like, medicine's not the solution here. But well, you know what we found out. So when we found that naturopath in April of 2015 we found out he didn't have any lactobacillus in his guts and that's the beneficial bacteria. And sure enough, he was overrun with, you know, strep and staph and, you know, he had all kinds of pathogenic bacteria in his microbiome. And this was a simple test. It was just a stool analysis that we did. And um, and we also saw that his short chain fatty acids were out of balance. His butyrate levels were low and, you know, and I'd like to talk a little bit about butyrate today. And, um, but you know, what we did is, is our is our naturopath is she she had a protocol. So her protocol included a a quality probiotic, some colostrum, and uh and uh some glutathione. And so what that what that did for our son that summer of twenty fifteen, the changes were noticeable, you know, because our son was seeing like an OT because like when he would go to dot his eyes, he would get stuck. And he would dot his eye. He needed to make that that dot of that eye like the size of like a fifty cent piece, and it needed to be colored in in its entirety. And so it would take him like a minute or two to dot his eyes. Well all of a sudden, that all that all vanished. That was all gone. So it was nice because at the end of third grade, the school wanted an IEP for him, and they wanted to take him out of the traditional classroom setting because he was he was a problem. And um but it, you know before we started fourth grade, we went back to the school and we said, Hey, instead of this IEP and taking him out of the traditional classroom setting, why don't we keep him in the traditional classroom setting? And let's take a wait and see approach. We noticed some changes over the summer of 2015 and let's just see how he does. Well, the good news was he did great. And, um, and the IEP was no longer necessary. And we may remained very active in the school. I was able to, uh, to, you know, visit the classroom, go on some field trips, you know, I kind of put work to the side and said, no, Hey, I need to take care of my son. My son is in a dark place. I need to be involved and I, and I need to be there for him. And he continued to do well. Fourth grade was good fit, And every year it just got progressively better. And now that he's a junior in high school, you know, he has a GPA of like 3.5, you know, he, uh, he's doing well and, um, still socially a little awkward, you know, a little anxiety, a little OCD, but nothing like what we saw back, you know, around 2014 is kind of when it hit its peak, if you will. And that's when, uh, you know, our family was falling apart, to be honest with you. It was, you know, we were desperate for answers. And I was so thankful to have found the people on the Facebook group, like Parents Against Miralax, because that's when I learned about naturopathic medicine. I had no idea. You know, I truly believed in like traditional Western medicine. And, um, and it really opened my eyes you know, because, you know, everything to me has always been, you know, the pediatrician, you know, they're the professionals, right? They know best and you listen to them. And, and I kid you not, boy, were they ever wrong? And, and even go through with my son's medical records. And if you, um, you know, if you search for the word Miralax in his medical records, it's in there over a hundred times about how these doctors just, you know, it was, it was everybody saying, continue with the Miralax, continue with the Miralax. And, and it was finally in, the, uh, in January of 2015 when we went into the hospital for a clean-out. And the first part of the, the hospital stay was the neurologist wanted to hook, hook him up to a video EEG. And uh, so he was observed for 24 hours, and he, he didn't show any seizure-like activity. So in 2014, he was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. But we had a new neurologist, and she wanted to monitor him. And the second half of our hospital stay, they, they wanted to do a cleanse, and that cleanse was real similar to what you would do for like a colonoscopy. They used go Lightly, but in the case of a child, they use an NG tube. Instead of us adults, we would just drink this at home and then go in for our colonoscopy. Well, this go Lightly contains 200, 236 grams of polyethylene glycol. And so they fed this to my child through the NG tube. And maybe one of my worst nightmares ever. You know, he had it coming out both ends. He was throwing up. He had bad diarrhea. Finally, around midnight of that day he, uh, the nurse came in and said, Hey, this is enough. We need to put an end to this. And, um, and that's, and that's when the New York times article came out. That was January 10th of 2015 when Miralax made the front page of the New York times. And this is when we found out that the FDA had done a study in 2008. So mind you, that's a seven year gap that it took for the FDA to disclose that they did, that they studied Miralax or they they did some lab work on it and in all eight lots that the FDA tested back in 2008, they found levels of diethylene glycol and ethylene glycol. Now, many people will tell you that polyethylene glycol does not contain antifreeze. It's, It's different, right? You see that all over the web. Polyethylene glycol is not antifreeze. Well, guess what? Polyethylene glycol does contain ethylene glycol and while it might not be at toxic levels, it's present and what the fda continues to talk about that they're going to do in 2018 they they had another drug come to the market that contains polyethylene glycol that's another colonoscopy prep called plenview and so what the fda said that they're going to do is they're going to they're going to study this because they don't know how the polyethylene glycol breaks down once it gets into our microbiome so what happens to these impurities such as ethylene glycol and diethylene glycol do once they interact with bacteria do they do these levels do they elevate to become maybe toxic levels and the, the question there is nobody knows we, we you know what what happens we just don't know the FDA doesn't even know and so there's a lot more questions than there are answers on how toxic is polyethylene glycol exactly
1: and with um, now your child um, had received all of his childhood vaccines is that correct
0: yeah up until about the age of ten um, he was he was fully vaccinated um, but once we realized you know where we were at and where we were going we halted the the vaccines and um, right around the age of 10 is when our pediatrician wanted to start the HPV vaccine. And that was a very tough discussion with our pediatrician. We said, thank you, but no thank you. And then of course, then it was time for, I think maybe another dose of MMR and maybe DTaP. And and we're like, no, he's not, he's not ready for that stuff yet. And uh, so we, we did halt them after, after we discovered like the issues with the PEG and in the mirror, like, so we, uh, so he's not been vaccinated since he's not, uh, our family is not vaccinated against COVID. And, um, and ironically enough, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned, mentioned the vaccines because last summer he applied for his first job and I gave him a lot of credit and you know, I watched him go down the hill to, uh, it's a, it's a large tourist area here in the, in the Madison area. And, um, it's a national landmark actually. And, um, he went down and he did the interview and they offered him a job and then and then they asked him for his vaccination status and um and it was rather rather comical because you know then at that point i had to get involved you know i wanted to let him resolve all issues it's his job it's you know it's him developing into a young man and so i reached out to the lady in the human resource department and i uh, had a conversation with her and she told me you know hey we're a small employer you know we can we can do what we want and i'm like you know what here in the state of wisconsin we still have medical and religious exemptions available. Which one would you like for me to get for him? I'm more than happy to get either one of them. And um, and she's like, nope, he's he's not he's not vaccinated. We're not going to employ him. And I'm like, well, you're discriminating. And so I I contacted the Department of Equal Rights, and just to make sure I was on the same page with with the law and whatnot. And of course, I was in line with it. And he, they told me that they needed to provide like. I think they called it some sort of like arrangement to, to suit his needs, if you will, and that they needed to they needed to remain consistent with the job opportunity, that they could not discriminate against him because he's not vaccinated. So I called her back and I had that conversation with him. And um and then the email we got back from her, you know, they they did re-offer the job to him. And um, but the the reasonable accommodations that they came up with were not reasonable at all. And, and I really wanted to fight that. Um, but because it's his first job opportunity and, um, because it's a local business and, uh, and we have to live here for a while. We, um, and my wife works for the school district and she didn't really want to take on that fight. And so I finally said, all right, enough is enough. And we just decided he was not going to work for that company.
1: Yeah. Sometimes we just have to, you know, we have to pick our battles for sure. Um, but you know, especially where he had had clearly a reaction to PEG, um, he would likely be um, eligible or, or should be eligible for a medical exemption since he's had such a, a severe reaction to PEG in the past. Um, for them to even consider vaccinating him against COVID that contains PEG um, to me is just unbelievable. But I know that people who have documented allergies to polyethylene glycol um, have been denied medical exemption which to me is just, it's very, it's really very telling about what is going on in the larger agenda. But I think that with, like you, you said, your, your son was vaccinated, like my son was vaccinated, had all of his childhood vaccines as well, because we always did just implicitly trust the the doctors, the white coat, the healthcare system. This is just the way that it is. It's like we didn't question it very um, very much. But when I see things coming out like uh, pandas, now clearly that is contributed to the, um eradication of the bacteria uh the good bacteria but how much of it could possibly and potentially be also related to the childhood vaccines that are causing these autoimmune conditions because so many children out there have these types of behavioral issues and they just you know write it off as just being um you know um mental illness or um, just bad behavior they don't ever look deeper to see if there is something physiological going on within the body and i am now Mike, at the point where i believe that we are all vaccine injured on some level i have multiple autoimmune conditions and i start to put things together and i believe that it is a a direct result from vaccines that i've received um, both in my childhood and also in my early adult years, getting into the the medical field, you have to have that series of hep B. Um, I, I did, got in medi- medical field about, I was 19 years old. By the time I was 20, I was diagnosed with my first autoimmune condition. And I had that three uh, series hep B.
0: Gosh, that's awful. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's, it's, there, there's no doubt. I mean, the vaccines, you know, when you look at the ingredients, especially, you know, today, you know, it'd be really interesting to compare like today's vaccines versus like yesterday's vaccines. Right. And, and, and that's the whole thing is like, I, I think, you know, those, the pharmaceutical companies are always looking to maximize their bottom line. And I think the ingredients that they're using are just, they're getting worse and worse and worse because they're getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And, and, um, and it's, and it's just interesting, you know, because like, one chemical that I kind of keep a, a close eye on is Tritenex 100, and that appears to be in a lot of the vaccines. And this the CDC, and I, I do believe it's closely associated with polyethylene glycol because you'll see some papers out there, you know, when talking about the mRNA vaccines that polyethylene glycol has never been in a vaccine before. Well, there is another paper that came out here recently talking about Triton X100 and how it's very closely related to polyethylene glycol. And a lot of the vaccines contain this Triton X100. And um, and it's and now the CDC is actually changing the name of Triton X100 to like octophenol 10, I believe. and uh, But it's on the CDC's website. and it's, And it's just, you know, why do you have to change the name? Why do you have to play these games, you know, to kind of plan. like... You know, because I don't think, the you know, most of us lay people, you know, I- unless you really follow Triton X100, you know, you're not going to know that Octophenol 10 is Triton next 100 unless you, you've been following it. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's mind boggling. And, th- and that's even the case with polyethylene glycol, you know, because when we tell people all the time in our in our Miralax group to read your labels, you know, avoid PEG if you can avoid PEG. But, you know, when you look at a label, if you see like a, if you see the ingredient like Lorith 7 how do you know that loreth seven is a polyethylene glycol? Exactly. And, and, you know, and that's what I tell people, you know, anything that ends with ETH, you know, that is, and has a number after it, like loreth seven, you know, do your homework on it, you know, and maybe come back to us and ask us and, and we can do some research with you and help you and guide you. And like, Hey, that's a toxic chemical. That's an eth oxalated chemical that is not going to be healthy for you. But you know, and that's and that's exactly what polyethylene glycol is. You know, it's all ethoxylated, and which means it's bound with ethylene oxide, and uh, and it contains many many impurities. You know, when I look at an M- MSDS sheet of uh, from Spectrum Chemical, you know, you're going to see things there like 1,4 dioxane. You know, and if you look at 1,4 dioxane, state of New York and the state of New Jersey are starting to cut back on what these chem- what these products can have in them for 1,4 dioxane. 1,4 dioxane is not found on a label because it's an impurity. So how do you know how much? 14 dioxane is in your tide laundry detergent you know and you don't you know but you know new york now is limiting 14 dioxane to two parts per million but these are all byproducts of polyethylene glycol and other f oxylated ingredients that we're all exposed to cuz so all made from petroleum
1: yeah and i think that so many of these things and like literally we re- we don't pay attention uh, for uh, the large majority of um, americans really don't pay attention to what we consume the food we consume um the the products that we use uh, for cleaning or otherwise and and what type of toxic ingredients they have and how they're affecting our health in small ways it's like they're coming at us from every angle and it's really difficult to even start to think about how we are to defend ourselves because if it's whether it's the food that we eat or the air that we breathe the water we drink um, there there is toxicity being thrown at us everywhere so this is really such important information. And I think that um, collectively as a society, we need to learn how to be more uh, vigilant and start dissecting this information because it really is so important um, to address before it's too late. And once we start having symptoms, it's already you know past the point uh, we need to be at. Symptoms it means that disease has been building for quite some time. So do have to go out to a break, but we'll be right back here in just a minute. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa 24-7. Great talk radio. All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. I'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time, and this say- is.
2: Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day
1: Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're do- you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Let's jump right back in. We've been talking with Mike Kohler about the many dangers associated with the widely used over-the-counter medication, Neuralax. Now, Mike, there's been some delays in these FDA studies concerning Pike. Can you talk a little bit about that and what is the holdup on these?
0: Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um, You know, the FDA told us that they're having some issue developing the essays, you know, and if we go back and we look to when the money was first awarded, you know, so the FDA, they responded to a citizen's petition that was filed by the Empire State Consumer Project out of Rochester, New York, and, and Carol Chittenden, the director of the nonprofit, she's been really diligent in these efforts. You know, she's really been kind of keeping track of what's going on with the FDA and responding to these delays. So the response from the FDA to the citizen's petition came in 2014 and they awarded $325,000 to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And the tentative completion date that was initially mentioned in that grant was supposed to be September of 2015. Well, needless to say, that didn't happen. Then a couple of years went by and it was, it was November of 2017 when we got an email from the FDA and Michael Bernstein at the FDA saying that they had everything in place and Children's Hospital Philadelphia felt comfortable that they would have the study done in 2018. Well, some things happened at the hospital. Um, one of the researchers left. She went to Chicago. And um, so the FDA gives us another email the latter part of 2018 saying, hey, sorry, the study is not going to happen in 2018, but now we have no time frame as to when the study is going to be completed. Well, then we get a notification, the grant was only good for five years. So the grant was awarded in 2014, 2019, the funds expire. And, but what we noticed was the lead researcher at at Children's Hospital Philadelphia, he had released his annual review in 2019 and he referenced the grants. And so we're like, wow, this is bizarre. So we read, I purchased his annual review. We dissected his paper. His paper really doesn't talk anything about Miralax, doesn't talk about constipation, but yet he references this in his paper. So assuming he used the money as part of this annual review, we were a little concerned about maybe misappropriation of funds, if you will. So at that time I reached out to the hospital and I asked for the, the director of, of compliance, if you will. And I I reached out to, um, Matthew's his first name. I'm drawing a blank on his last name. But anyway, I reached out to Matthew and he's the vice president of compliance at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. At that time, he told us, hey, you know, things are moving along. And, and as long as we don't have any issues related to COVID, maybe we can get the study done next year. And I believe that was 2020 that we were talking. And, um, and so I believe he was referencing the study should be done by 2021. So the delays continue and they continue. And then the FDA gives some more money. To complete the study, and so now this now the funding is up to over six hundred thousand dollars to complete the study. Well, if you look at clinicaltrials.gov and the polyethylene glycol safety in children study, now they have a tentative completion date of June of two thousand twenty-four. So that's going to be ten years. Let's say the study gets done in June of two thousand twenty-four. That's ten years after the grant was issued in two thousand and fourteen. To me that is wrong, because as we talked just a short bit ago, this drug is being used widely off-label to treat pediatric constipation. And the concern that I have, and many parents have, children and families, just like my family was, are suffering because their children are, are suffering from the side effects of this drug and the disruptions of the microbiome And children's health is is just going right down the toilet, you know, literally, because that's what's happening with Miralax. We're flushing the bacteria literally right down the toilet. And it just, and for the FDA to just take so long, you know, and and why can't they put a pause on this? Why can't they just say, hey, let's take a time out in prescribing this medication off label. Let's just use it as it's labeled. You know, and even, you know, even when I look back through the drug applications, when I look at the drug application to bring Miralax over-the-counter in 2006, FDA doctor Karen Fibus, she did a review. And in reading her review, she talks about a theoretical concern over long-term and chronic use because she mentions a a decrease in short-chain fatty acids. And this is where we get into like a little bit of the butyrate conversation, if you will, because I've done some extensive research on butyrate. I'm far from an expert, trust me. But when you look at butyrate, you know, and how the bacteria in our gut ferments with the fiber that we consume to create butyrate, you know, there are a lot of papers out there about the significance of butyrate in our overall health. You know, there's one paper that I've read where the researcher talks about butyrate maybe being the bread and butter of the microbiome and brain connection, you know, so it's, it's, it's just really a shame that we just can't take a time out from this off-label use of Miralax. And now instead of a time out, you know, when you look at some of the hospital's websites, I, I watch the Children's Hospital Philadelphia website religiously. And I watch a couple other ones, Seattle Children's, uh, Children's Hospital of Orange County. You know, they all have like their Miralax, uh, you know, their prescribing guidelines right on their website. And the thing that really concerns me is that this medical community, they have no dialogue with one another because, like, at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, when they're doing a bowel cleanse, and for a child over 110 pounds, they're going to use an entire bottle of Miralax. You know, they're going to use, you know, 14 capfuls, 15 capfuls, whatever the math is, 144 grams. They're going to use an entire bottle of Miralax and Gatorade. And then you look at Seattle Children's Hospital at their website, they're going to use a couple capfuls, you know? So why is there such a discrepancy within these huge children's hospitals of how much Miralax that they're going to use to clean out a child that's constipated. Yeah. And if I, if I also may say that, that Miralax and Gatorade combination, you know, and, and that's another FDA not approved off label, uh, you know, tool that they're using in their toolbox you know, there's a, there's a study out there from the, from the University of Michigan that clearly talks about Miralax and Gatorade is not FDA approved. So now we're going to just take it a step further. And instead of using like with our son, when they clean him out here at the Children's Hospital of, of Wisconsin, you know, they use that uh, go lightly, I'm not saying it's a better product because it's definitely not, but, um, but, you know, now they're using Miralax with Gatorade you just have to wonder if bear is putting some pressure on these hospitals to, Hey, use our products instead of using this brain tree product, which is the go lightly products. And now bear has infiltrated these hospitals and say, Hey, this is a better way to clean out a child. And now all these hospitals are using Miralax instead of, instead of go lightly.
1: But isn't it interesting when we talk about off-label use, how they don't seem to have any problem using this Miralax off-label. But if we were, we remember back to, um, you know, 2020, when Ivermectin was suggested the off label use of this medication, it was like, oh, absolutely not. That's off label. It's not indicated for that. And, and they, they made this big thing about how they could not use this. And, and Ivermectin is a safe and effective drug that has been safely used in humans by the way for for more than three decades right but they made such a big deal about how they could not use it to treat COVID because it was off label but here we are using this medication off label with no question no concern and these are medications that have not been appropriately studied
0: yeah no it's a that's a valid point you know and it's and it's so it's so frustrating because like even going back to when they did the cleanse on our son in, in 2015, in January of 2015, you know, so when we were released from the hospital the next day, you know, our son, you know, now mind you, our EEG reading was, was negative. You know, that was the first part of our hospital stay. Right. So, after we did the cleanse, you know, and, and they, can, they had to convince us, you know, because me and my wife were like, hey, we don't want any Miralax-like products used because this is when we're starting to sense like Miralax is causing his seizures. And so my wife and I told the, told the nurse upon check and we're like, no Miralax, no, we didn't know what polyethylene glycol was. We haven't gone that deep down the rabbit hole yet, if you will. And that wasn't very deep, right? We should have looked at the ingredients and mind you, polyethylene glycol is the only ingredient miralax so we told them no Mirlex. So then they, they come in here and they show us a video and they, they, you know, we have a team of doctors and nurses in there. And I, I kid you not, it, it was a team of multiple people convincing us to do this, go lightly cleanse with the sun G-tube. So after discharge, my son, he had 22 seizures over the following nine days. And, and it was awful. And that's when my wife and I looked at one another, we're like, we need to do better. You know, what can we do better? And that's, you know, that's, you know, the internet's a great thing, right? But it's also kind of dangerous. And so that's when we finally, you know, started doing some research on our own and said, you know what, forget the white coats, forget the professionals, because they're not very smart.
1: Well, they're not. Yeah. Like, and you know what the problem is? Is that they're not doing the research. You would assume that these doctors, these physicians, these scientists, that they're all doing their due diligence and researching these things. And I can promise you, after 26 years of working in healthcare, they do not do their own research. They just take whatever's handed down to them from the FDA, from the CDC, from the AMA, and they run with it. And it is absolutely disgusting.
0: Yeah, it is. Cause it was, you know, that was, it was painful to watch our son struggle, you know, and, and especially, you know, his one, you know, cause at the time, many of his seizures included vomiting, you know, cause he, and, um, and so they, they tried to like diagnose with him with abdominal epilepsy. But if you look at abdominal epilepsy, it's, it's really quite rare. And, um, you know, and, and so it really was him just having a reaction to these toxicities. And because his, his microbiome was compromised, now we, we assume his blood brain barrier became compromised as well. And that's what was triggering the seizures because, you know, we need the beneficial bacteria for our short chain fatty acids. And if you look at the significance of butyrate and its HDAC inhibitor properties, it really is like, it really does help control the inflammation and it, it keeps the anti inflammatory production of the cytokines in place. And, the pro-inflammatory cytokines remain where they need to be at and and reduced. And, and it just, it's, it's just overwhelming that, that, you know, the medical community is just not aware of, of the significance of the microbiome. And, and that's where parents need to, you know, I I tell people all the time in our group, I'm like, Hey, test the microbiome and just, and see where you're at because the test to like have a Genova labs or a doctor's data or somebody out there besides these Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of like Ombre or Viome, you know, because I I think they're all using, you know, like cultured stool analysis, you know, let's, let's maybe use a little bit advanced technology and whether it's PCR or, or, or something else, but you know, the cultured stool analysis may not be as accurate. And those at home test kits anyway, like, like Viome and Ombre, they're like 150 bucks. Well, for like another $100, you can have a much more detailed analysis from Genova labs or from a doctor's data. And, and you can get a much better snapshot of where your microbiome is at. And, and it's, you know, if you're going to spend 150 bucks, what's what's another
1: $100? And when so you made that connection. Was it the naturopath that actually made the connection to the Miralax, or did you come to that on your own? Well, it was
0: something that my wife, you know, I got to give my wife all the credit, actually. I mean, she's the one that's, you know, she's administering the Miralax because he's still having, you know, he's still having constipation issues, right? And so... And bless her heart. She never felt really comfortable like giving the Miralax. So thankfully she was only giving him like a small dose of the Miralax, still Miralax, still PEG. But, you know, so his his stools were remaining regular, but it was ironic and sad and that, you know, she would administer the Miralax and he would have a seizure or a round of seizures. And, and, and again, even at that age, he was many times that it, it included vomiting. And that's how we would know that he was having a seizure because with like temporal lobe epilepsy, It's not like a grand mal seizure. You know, it's, you might not even know that he's having a seizure unless you're really like looking at him because his, it was more about him just kind of checking out for like 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds. And then he would snap out of it and, and he would be okay. And you, you really wouldn't know unless he, unless he vomited that he had a seizure and so, you know, for an extended period of time, that was our regular discussion, you know, Hey, how was your day today? Did you have any, we refer to them as epis mm-hmm. and, you know, did you get through the day? Okay. Yeah. And, and stuff like that. And, and that was almost, it, it was probably every day that we asked him that. And it was and I'll talk about just like a horrible way to go through your childhood, you know, for, for like a year before we realized like, Hey, let's, we needed to look at the microbiome and we needed to like figure out what was going on and, and bless my wife's heart because she, she really noticed that. And, and that's when we brought this, like our, our GI doctor. And of course, you know, then GI is like, well, you know, if he's having seizures, you need to talk to your neurologist. And then the neurologist is like, well, you got to talk to your GI doctor if it's a stomach issue. And, you know, so it's like, can't the two of you, you guys are in the same building, you're in the same hospital, can't you guys talk together? And like, for the better of this patient, of this young man, of this eight or nine year old child. Let's let's get to the bottom of the issue here. Instead of you guys saying, hey, let's play some ping pong and we're the ball and they have the paddles. Exactly. And that's
1: that is the sad reality of of how this sick care system operates, unfortunately. And you know, so many of these doctors won't even talk, do you know that they won't even talk to family members that call or they won't take some of them don't even take Medicare patients because typically Medicare patients come with family members who want information and there's no way to bill for that so that they don't accept patients for that reason. I've seen so many things that just absolutely sicken me about this system, because it doesn't seem like anybody is interested in in getting to the bottom of anything or, you know, figuring out what's wrong or actually helping people. It's all about, it's like an assembly line and they herd these patients in like cattle, they check their boxes. That's all about maximum reimbursement, not about getting anybody well. And then it's just, you know, wash, rinse and repeat every day and this is not something that i i want to be a part of and why i've been just kind of working so hard to to get something out there that we that can change the face of healthcare, because this is this is not serving any of us it doesn't serve the nurses and it certainly doesn't serve our patients
0: right yeah and that, and that's exactly it you know and that's why you know i'm all about bringing you know because like when we talk about polyethylene glycol like you know it's it's an ingredient that, you know, Miralax is really just the tip of the iceberg, you know, and, and that's, and the medical professionals would be helpful for them to know that polyethylene glycol, you know, there's, in, in 2019, there were over 2000 FDA approved drugs that contained polyethylene glycol. They refer to them as pegylated drugs. But in, in 2021, the FDA issued a warning on two ultrasound contrast agents, uh, Definity and Lumason. And what's really interesting is that the the concern there with Definity and Lumison is is cardiopulmonary issues, you know, and so when we talk about cardiopulmonary issues, you know, well, what's going on with the mRNA jabs? Well, it's cardiopulmonary issues, right? It's myocarditis. And so when we, when we think about, like, our exposure to polyethylene glycol, kind of like, as we talked about a little bit earlier within our, like, laundry detergents, within our food, you know, because, like, polysorbates, you know, they're are closely linked to a polyethylene glycol. You know, polysorbate 80 tells you that it's a, you know, it's an ethoxylated chemical. And so it's, while it's not a polyethylene glycol. It's closely, and there's a paper on this at Physicians Weekly that talks about the relationship between polyethylene glycol and polysorbate. And now polysorbate is in a lot of your vaccines. I don't want to say all of them because that might be not accurate, but it's in a lot of them, along with Triton X100. So we're, we're really exposed to these ethoxylated chemicals. And what's happening inside of us is we're developing these anti-PEG antibodies. And this is why I believe the FDA is trying to space out these mRNA jabs is because they need our bodies to manage themselves with these anti-PEG antibodies. Because if they jab jab us, jab us, jab us, jab us, jab us, well, eventually we exceed the threshold. And now we activate what's what's known as the complement system, and then it causes this immune response, and then we 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 may have an issue called myocarditis, right? And what's interesting is there's there are papers out there that claim that young men, and this is what's really fascinating in in a weird in a sad kind of way, is that young men for some reason have a higher level of, of what activates this complement activation system and which causes this immune response and eventually myocarditis. And it's, and I don't know why, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get a better understanding of that myself, you know, because again, I'm just a lay person. So I'm, I'm reading these papers, but it, it's really, it's really quite interesting that it appears that the vaccines are affecting young men more than anybody else
1: they are when I first started noticing I I was uh, I had left bedside nursing and had started doing telephone triage somewhere in the middle of the vaccine rollout and I was getting more and more phone calls um, from young otherwise healthy uh, individuals that were suffering from these cardiac um, issues at an onset of like just severe chest pain and it sounded like they were having heart attacks and I'm like what is going on and it was more you're right it was more in the young um, healthy male usually about between the ages of like 18 to say in their like low to mid 30s i was i see more and more of that and i was like and i actually started keeping my own data because nobody else was talking about it so i just started saying this is off these trends are uh concerning and alarming to me so i started keeping some data on it but you're absolutely right it was affecting um disproportionately younger males
0: yeah, and if you look at the uh, at the end of our talk today, I can I'll send you a few links as far as what I've seen, you know, in uh, in some papers, you know, kind of explaining why and how it's affecting the young men, and and it's it's just it's really disturbing that that is the case. Like I, I have a, a family member, he had a, a serious, and it wasn't cardiopulmonary issue, issue, um, but it was it was a serious health complication from from the vaccine, and 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 then they finally did note his medical file because even in talking to. Um, the, the hospital here locally, the UW-Madison um, Hospital, that that they really, you know, kind of, as you had mentioned, you know, the hospitals were not really willing to issue any, any sort of medical exemption when it came to the vaccine. You know, but my son, in his medical file, it's noted that he has a peg allergy and that peg causes the seizures. And so, okay, well, if it's in his medical file, then why can't you write him a medical exemption so that he can, so that he can go about employment and stuff like that. So we just went the religious exemption route and that wasn't as painful, but it's, um, you know, cause thankfully we still have that option here in the state of Wisconsin. But, um but I, I don't know why it's just such a blanket like that, but even with my, my family member, he was able then after these well-documented issues with the vaccine, he was finally able to get a medical exemption where he will not be vaccinated again because he had some, some side effects from the vaccine, not once, but twice. Yeah. And, um, and the poor, the poor guy, he's, you know, he's in college and, um, you know, he's athletic and he, and so for him to remain on the team, they required him to, like, if he was to come down with COVID and not be vaccinated, he would have, he would have had a 10 day period where he needed to remain off campus. Well, since he's doing, you know, he a lot of his work is involved in the lab. He felt like he needed to be vaccinated so that he could do. What he needed to do, even after he came out with COVID, because then I think the period of time away from campus was only like three days, and um, so it was less, and that's why he got the vaccine the second time, and he had the same reaction he had the first time.
1: Yeah, you know, the coercion is absolutely—it's so—it's so disturbing to see, and and like the athlete, and we all saw what happened on Monday Night Football. Um, And I hope that because it happened on Monday Night Football that now we can start talking about it. But even since then, we've already had more. It's like every day I'm seeing two to three um, sudden adult death, (laughs) cardiac arrest in these young people. And when are we going to start connecting these dots? Um, it's, it's so disturbing, but we've got just just like maybe two to three minutes left, and I want to talk really briefly about, you know, Marilax does contain just that one ingredient uh, of polyethylene glycol or PEG, but, you know, let's talk about the mRNA vaccines because that is one of the ingredients in the jab. You know, it's quite possible that's the only one that's even been identified at this point, but um, <laughs> you had mentioned previously that there has been an FDA study that is being done to look into the concerns of PEG being used in the mRNA vaccines themselves. Has there been any outcome of this so far?
0: You know, that's a great question, you know, because I, I have been responding with the FDA in regard to polyethylene glycol, because that is a chemical that I've always been concerned with. And it was about two years ago that Dr. Peter Marks, you who know, is the director of biologics with the FDA, he did a study with, uh, I believe it was the AMA, and or he did it, I'm sorry, he did a, an interview with, the AMA, and where he did talk about, so he did the, the, the interview with uh, Dr. Susan Bailey of the AMA in January of 2021. And he does talk extensively about, about PEG and it being a concern in the vaccine. And he goes on to talk about how there are ongoing studies, not only in government, but also in acad- academia. And so, you know, I've been emailing Dr. Marks, and I, I was pleasantly surprised that he actually responded in September of 2021 and said that the studies were progressing slowly. So my, my emails have continued and the FDA has been very responsive up until recently. They, they have stopped responding, but as far as I know, um, uh, Paul Richards, who works in Dr. Mark's office, he did tell me that there was some work being done in in collaboration with the CDC and, um, and that they would release that data. And so I've, I've recently asked Dr. Richards, for an update, and he has failed to update me, and um, and so I continue on with those email requests to the FDA to see where we're at with these peg studies and the mRNA vaccines, and and hopefully at some point we'll get an answer. But you know, it's, it's according to Dr. Marks, those studies have been ongoing for uh, for two plus years now. Yeah, so the uh, so the studies have been ongoing now for two plus years with no answers if peg is a safety concern or not in the mRNA vaccines. I think if you did your own research, uh, a, you know PEG or polyethylene glycol in the mRNA vaccines. There's a lot of data out there, and um, and it, it clearly appears that polyethylene glycol is an issue in the mRNA vaccines. And if I can conclude by saying that polyethylene glycol is also causing some uh, some infant deaths in a cough syrup, primarily overseas in Asia. Um, the world health organization and the FDA both have uh, just recently, just this week have released statements regarding the concern of a handful of chemicals. And one of them is polyethylene glycol in this cough syrup that is overseas, but um, and uh, yeah, over 300 children have died overseas and um, in the FDA and the world health organization are now involved.
1: As always, Mike, incredible information from you. And we are so grateful for you taking the time to share with our listeners Um, But that is all the time that we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton, and you can find me here every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We must all do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. Tune in tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern as I hand off the baton to Nurse Michelle. We are in a war for the truth. We are putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. Join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness.
0: It's time and day.